welcome to season 2 of Perspective Exchange, a space where we have insightful discussions for meaningful policy shifts. I'm Merlin Francis and we have with us in today's episode Ms. Pramoda Gode, Senior Advisor on E-Mobility at the World Economic Forum. Electric mobility is gaining popularity thanks to effective policies and a lot of innovation that's happening in the industry right now. But there are a lot of challenges beginning with planning and putting in place an efficient charging infrastructure making clean energy available for charging addressing a lot of safety concerns disposing of the electric waste that is generated and so on ms gode sheds light on some of these issues in today's conversation with dr jay asundi our executive director over to you jay so good morning uh, welcome pramoda uh, the senior advisor at uh, for electric mobility at the world economic forum uh, welcome to this uh, conversation with me on perspective exchange Uh, what we're going to talk today about is about electric mobility electric vehicles and what is going on especially in india uh, so let me start with you know the first question is as you can as you have been reading uh, that electric vehicles are finding uh, a large amount of takers right now uh, growth has been quite significant in certain segments like the two wheelers and we are also seeing almost 100000 uh, electric vehicles uh, uh, four wheelers being bought in the year 2022 and we do see the electric india energy storage alliance expects ev industry to expand at a cagr of almost 36% so in your uh, you know uh, estimate what will drive this trend and what do you see as the obstacles that may uh, slow this down thanks jay uh, you're absolutely right uh, evs are definitely on the upturn in india uh, as you mentioned they're selling about 100000 vehicles in india but most of the sales are coming from the electric two wheelers and the three wheelers and more recently so from passenger cars um electric buses are also being sold to uh, public transportation tra- units um but their sales more or less come in blips and they're more mostly associated with the policies and subsidies and you know the market economics and you know what are the sourcing the requirements of of the time however i think the vehicle segment that we need to watch out for and which is primed for trans- uh, transitioning to electric is the medium duty trucks uh with the recent announcements of uh, india based oems to bring in medium electric trucks i think the whole logistics uh, fleet is ready for this transition i mean the economics are already in their favor and with ev models being ready uh this transition is going to come across and it'll be very exciting to see uh, how they uh transition um but in essence i think uh, each a vehicle segment will have a unique adoption curve um but every one of them is going to be impressive so i don't know if it is going to be 36% across the board uh, i would want to say that you know the two wheelers and three wheelers are and the light commer- light per- personal vehicles are going to be uh, growing at more astronomical pace um and coming to uh, Uh, what might impede this growth um in ev markets across the globe there's been a high correlation between the observed ev sales and the availability of the public charging infrastructure uh and the range of models that are available in that particular vehicle segment in the market so you know the lack of you know minimal coverage of charging infrastructure and perhaps the non availability of quality products in the market uh, could dampen this growth a little bit Uh, thanks so much i think that that was fairly comprehensive uh, so before we get into you know issues related to infrastructure and other things uh, you know 
all technologies have issues uh, with safety. So can we just talk a little bit about safety so that we can, you know, cover that out? So, you know, what do we need to do in order to uh, ensure that, you know, this entire new form of mobility is safe, if not safer than what we already have, but uh, just as safe? Sure. I mean, you're aware that most of the battery cells that we're currently using in the EVs in India are imported. And that status quo is not going to change in, in the next five years time frame, you know, uh, until we start gigawatt scale production. So the value add that we're currently bringing into the market is uh, the innovation that is coming through the assembly of the battery packs and the battery management systems that are overlaid on them. I believe that, you know, since this is the age of data, you know, we need to leverage the bounty of data elements that are coming in through IoT, uh, which is already get, uh, being collected in real time. Uh, the data on current flow, temperature, discharge rates uh, can all be used to assess the health of the battery proactively and identify any preventive maintenance. And, and I think that needs to be regulated or enforced upon OEMs as well. Apart from that, I think indigenously developed safety and testing standards should be applicable not only to fully built EVs, but also to the after sales and the aftermarket ecosystem on the whole. Uh, regular battery health checkups should be made mandatory, just like how we have pollution checkups for ICE engine vehicles. And I think minimum operational safety standards should be mandated for government procurements to bring about the large scale change in the ecosystem. Yeah, so, you know, this, of course, uh, uh, obviously triggers a very in interesting thought in my mind is that, you know, uh, we obviously talk a lot about sustainability, we talk about circular economy. Uh, and you just mentioned that, you know, most of the battery cells are imported. Uh, so, you know, how do we go about, uh, you know, ensuring that we have some sort of uh, way in which we are sustainable in the way we use the materials? And, you know, what are the possible pitfalls of uh, this entire uh, uh, mechanism that we are currently uh, trying to go through? I mean, electric mobility uh, undoubtedly and EVs in particular are uh, uh, the most efficient to drive. Uh, they have the best climate footprint, uh, they facilitate the clean energy revolution, and as the electricity grid continues to decarbonize, they will continue to become more climate friendly. So uh, that answers the question about, you know, the actual operational uh, energy efficiencies. Uh, coming to the uh, critical raw minerals that are being used in the, manery, uh, in the batteries, um, the new frontiers in technology, right, either producing lithium from brines, or you know, non-lithium-based chemistries like uh, are being mainstreamed. And uh, the reliance on an, any particular geography or any particular mineral uh, is continuing to reduce. So that gives us a little bit more flexibility. Also, um, EV batteries are lasting much longer than initially anticipated. The batteries that are currently being retired from EVs still have a lot of juice left in them. And before they can be transitioned to like secondized uh, storage applications, they can be reused or repurposed for light EVs, which don't have uh, that much range or power requirements. I mean, think of like electric uh, three-wheelers or, you know, perhaps even the low-speed scooters, right? And such pilots are already underway in India. And the traditional methods of the end-of-life treatments uh, of recycling have been quite expensive and time-consuming, only because they've been structured to deal with smaller batteries that come from consumer electronics. But there is so much innovation going on in this space 
Um, and there are a number of promising startups, uh, startups that are innovating cleaner and more efficient technologies. So I'm very confident that in the next decade, you know, that that's when we'll actually see the majority of these batteries being uh, retired and coming into the recycling um, factories, that we'll have find an economically feasible and commercially viable uh, solution. So this is a definitely an absolutely solvable problem, if you ask me. Um, one other thing is, you know, the World Economic Forum's work uh, just a few years ago led to the Global Battery Alliance, which was established to ensure that a sustainable and responsible value chain is established for batteries. Um, one of the current initiatives that we're working on also is the Circular Cards Initiative, which extends beyond batteries and looks into steel and polymers as well. So by bringing together business leaders and early policy actions, uh, I think we're on the right path to achieve circularity in this entire industry. So the three R's of reduce, reuse, and recycle is something that we can try to follow in this in this ecosystem. Absolutely, and the innovation that the EV industry is seeing, and you know, in in every way, right, coming maybe from dealerships to you know what sort of extra features the EVs are offering, you know, to the uh, the traditional assembly lines, you know, there is there is uh, you know a, a disruption <laughs> in everything, right? So they can be stalwarts for you know bringing together in in real sense the RRR uh, uh, thinking. So you said, uh, you know, disruption, and let's talk about another form of disruption, which is this entire perspective on battery swapping. And, you know, the idea of delinking your electric vehicle, promoting the use of EVs, because then the cost comes down significantly. And as you know, there's a draft policy on uh, battery swapping. Now, how do we plan this charging battery infrastructure, uh, you know, to take into account this uh, aspect? And what are the economics around the swapping uh, that compared to the, I mean, just let's cover those two aspects. So, I mean, one size doesn't fit all, right? So I think the same uh, thought can be extended to charging infrastructure as well. Um, so the policy right now, I think, should be supportive of all modes of charging available, especially in the nascent EV market like ours. Although private charging at home could work for many of us who have like a very predictable travel pattern, but commercial EV owners don't have the same luxury. Uh, you know, that is where the merits of battery swapping really shine through. Battery swapping not only lowers the upfront of, uh, cost of acquisition of the vehicle, but it spreads out the cost associated with the battery more evenly through the entire life of the vehicle. Um, but at the same time, uh, renting out you know, the battery, which is the heart of the uh, vehicle, is a very new concept in the automobile world. So similarities have to be drawn from other sectors like, you know, maybe the cell phones or, you know, other business verticals to gain the acceptance from the consumers. But like any other commodity, a battery on demand will come at a price. So the real question is whether or not it is the right solution that meets your needs. And that will depend on, you know, which use case you fall under, right? I mean, what is the vehicle segment that you're driving? What are the performance requirements? What are the payload requirements? What is the usage pattern? Um, is your travel pattern predictable? Is your EV a part of a fleet or are you a private individual consumer? What are the financing options that are available to you? What are the insurance products that are available? And are there any state level purchase subsidies that are available for you? Um, it also matters what is the density of the swapping network in your area? And also, you know, most elementary, is, is there a safe and reliable parking spot available for you to charge your EV, right? All these elements and factors influence the cost economics. 
Um, but generally speaking, EVs are more favorable for use cases which see high mileage use, uh, users. And in extension to the same theory, battery swapping is most beneficial when the per day range requirements exceed the range provided by your EV on a complete or a full start cycle. So um, that is the general uh, theory of how battery swapping makes, uh, makes sense. So you obviously have brought in two important words that we need to start talking about. Uh, one is that the issue about finance, cost, and economics, right? So let's quickly run through now, what are the financial mechanisms that would uh, ensure, let's say, scale up of, uh, you, know, uh, you know, either RE-based mobility or just e-mobility in general? So RMA's mobility is something where that's very interesting and several mechanisms uh, have already sprung up across the globe uh, to you know, inculcate more renewable energy into electric mobility. Um, utilities have given discounted rates for customers who are willing to charge during off-peak hours, uh, which is the middle of the night uh, when wind energy is more plentiful or during the midday during the weekday when solar is more abundant. Uh, taking this one step further, some other utility companies have uh, created uh, packages of products where consumers can completely uh, source the electricity for their EVs from uh, renewable energy at a low monthly subscription fee. And they can avail this electricity through their level two uh, charging point network or at home. Some automobile companies have also done this. They've you know, piloted these managed charging uh, programs, as we call them. And uh, what it essentially does is as soon as you connect your EV, the OEM collects information on the state of the charge and based on your location, it also has information from the utilities on you know, when cheap energy or excess plentiful energy is available. And based on the user preferences and your driving patterns, it will give out bursts of energy during particular charging times on a schedule, right? So that way it reduces the cost of the charging and uh, you know it it helps in grid balancing. So um, of course these are managed uh, charging management uh, uh, protocols that can be used. Uh, but of course there is always the possibility of offering greater incentives uh, to EV charging stations that are co-located uh, with the on-site renewable energy generation. Many pilots have been done on that as well. And there can be batteries on on site to store the excess energy during uh, lean periods. Um, but the important thing that we should remember is, you know, not only extending such mechanisms for individual consumer, consumers, but to large corporations, fleet owners, and in India particularly, uh, for the state and transport units, which are buying electric buses, um, you know, in, in a large way, uh, because, you know, EVs are essentially, you know, big battery storages, uh, you know, uh, a body for, you know, big uh, storing batteries. Um, so th there's many uh, mechanisms, uh, you know, to incorporate renewable energy uh, into electric mobility. Uh, much can be done and should be done on that front. So, you know, you did obviously bring in new institutions and aspects here. Uh, so you did talk a little bit about the roles of the uh, public and you know private sector involvement in you know the greater uptake. Uh, is there anything more you would like to add on? You know what are the types of public private partnerships that we could envisage going forward? Yeah, I mean public private partnerships are already coming by in India, uh, especially uh, on key barriers such as real estate for uh, charging infrastructure providers. Uh, we've 
created, co-created, um, you know, business models by working together in which there's on a revenue sharing model, we're being able to offer uh, real estate at an affordable rate to charging infrastructure providers. Um, but I think what we are yet to explore in the PPP world is how this relationship between public and government, uh, public government agencies and businesses can be leveraged to develop the country's R&D capabilities. Uh, whether it be my means of building centers of excellence and a cost-sharing model uh, that can focus on market um, research, I mean, market-focused research, uh, which help in increasing the localization of components, uh, but it can also help generate more uh, revenue through exporting high-tech services. Um, similarly, uh, training programs for skilling and reskilling the workforce can be created in the PPP model. Businesses can be the anchor for such programs, while governments can provide a nominal stipend to the trainees. And the businesses can further be rewarded fiscally or non-fiscally for retaining these trainees as an employee. The entire ecosystem benefits in this manner. So that's where I think a lot of work needs to be done, you know, in developing this skilling programs and bringing businesses as stakeholders with skin in the game uh, to actually benefit fully from the PPP model. Yeah, so the, you know, uh, the PPP is public private partnership. And uh, actually, there's another P to that, which is people. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, a recent study we did at C-STEP found that people really look at upfront cost when they are buying an electric vehicle over the versus the total cost of ownership. Clearly, you know, humans have a hard time discounting uh, future costs and future benefits. And that's a key factor in, in to influence behavioral shifts. Now, do we need to change the way we communicate about the benefits of EV? And how do we factor this into the subsidies and incentives uh, designed uh, with the aim of getting more people to buy electric vehicles? Well, rightly said, uh, Jay, uh, the making the transition to EVs requires a change in mindset, right? Much of the criteria that comes from the ICE era no longer applies, right? From how the vehicles are refueled, the operating and maintenance costs incurred, and the thesis extends to upfront purchase costs as well. So absolutely, the awareness needs to be brought about uh, not only to the end customer, but also with the dealers. You know, they were the ones that are interfacing with the cons consumers on the gray, on the ground, day in and day out in real time. Right? But what is also holding back the adoption of EVs and light commercial vehicles to its full potential right now is cognitive bias. I mean, consumers routinely underestimate the percentage of routine trips that EVs can accommodate and can support, right? We have a tendency, you know, which is very natural to estimate our range requirements, you know, in reference to a recent long distance trip that we've made and overestimate our regular need. And so along with technological and financial barriers that can be addressed through incentives and subsidies, such psychological barriers, if I might call that, also need to be addressed. And that is where we need to put in more work. So that's uh, that's fantastic. I think uh, we've covered a lot of ground here. Uh, so let me uh, open this up for a last uh, sort of pitch from you. One is, of course, uh, what's the overall sense uh, from the World Economic Forum and you know on on this idea of green mobility and what would this ideal infrastructure for EVs look like? So. Uh, the ideal in EV infrastructure should be sustainable, right? It should be future-proof. It should be resilient. Um, it should be reliable, easy, convenient, and safe to use. 
Um, we also need a people-centered approach uh, for the planning and design, right? Uh, essentially, it, it has to be thoughtful placemaking. We are in the mad rush right now of putting up infrastructure, right? But are we pausing? Are we checking to make sure if it's actually working? And are we uh, checking to make sure it's actually addressing the charging needs of end consumers? Perhaps not as much as we should be doing, right? Incentives can be linked to, you know, minimum performance thresholds, you know, to ensure that, you know, the customer has good experience and the quality of the EVSE equipment is retained, right? Um, it is also important to put this infrastructure first uh, to give the consumers the necessary confidence to make the shift to EVs. And the planning of charging infrastructure needs to be tailor-made. It, it, uh, it cannot be a one-size-fits-all. It has to be tailor-made for the region and it has to be dependent on the EV sales and stock. The infrastructure should also account for local travel and charging patterns. It should look at the urban development characteristics. It should look at the type of dwelling units in the area, you know, even the climatic conditions. And there has to be enough room uh, to accommodate innovative and business models. You know, at the end of the day, we want to reduce the cost of charging to the consumer and improve profitability for the operator. So I think that's how we need to move forward with the planning charging infrastructure. Well, uh, thank you so much. That was a, a wonderful uh, insight into your thinking and how we can possibly look at electric mobility. Maybe we, we should call it green mobility from here on. And uh, hopefully we will, we will see things happening in the coming years. Uh, thank you again for being part of this Perspective Exchange. Absolutely. Thank you, Jay. There's no doubt that e-mobility is a game changer for decarbonizing the transport sector. Solving transport sector emissions has significant implications for both rising air pollution levels as well as the climate crisis. We hope you enjoyed today's talk. Do hit the like button and share your thoughts with us by commenting below. And of course, subscribe to our channel and follow us on Twitter or on LinkedIn or Instagram to stay updated about the most recent developments at C-Step. Thank you for listening in. Till next time, this is Merlin from C-Step for our podcast Perspective Exchange. Thank you.